Charles Swindoll writes, great people who accomplish great things often come from tragic beginnings. Some of you can probably think of folks who've had some great influence in your lives, and uh, they are people who came through rough or tragic pasts, things that happened in their childhood or things that happened in, in life, and they endured and persevered through them, uh, and and through that came to uh, be able to be used of great influence in your life. And it's no wonder uh, that Job has brought comfort for centuries to those going through trials and struggles and, and pain. It's such a tragedy when people uh, are wrecked by pain and grieving, uh, never turn to the pages of the Bible for their comfort. They never discover the comfort and the wisdom that come from the book of Job. As you read Job, you, uh, in some ways, I, I, some ways, connect with the man's misery. We can take bits and pieces that are maybe significant to uh, our personal lives and, and things that, that can uh, kind of compare to our lives, but very few know such depths as Job. Um, I don't know very many people that have lost everything the way that Job did, and only those who've suffered through what Job has can really empathize with them, can, can feel the, the pain and the anguish and the sorrow uh, that that he was experiencing. Uh, this particular chapter, uh, which is uh, part five of our series on the book of Job, is so far probably the the least pleasant. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about studying through entire books of the Bible is that it challenges us in different areas. Um, this is not one of those chapters that we would cherry pick, that we would choose to look at and um, study uh, at any length. It might be something we might reference in passing before we move on to more hopeful things. But as we study through entire books, we we come to, to chapters like this that have a tendency to, to challenge us, challenge the way we think, challenge the way we believe, and challenge the way we view the things that other people are going through. Uh, and today's going to be one of those days. As we begin to kind of wrap up chapter two, we find that Job's three friends uh, hear of all that's happened, or three of Job's friends, rather, hear of what's been going on. And in verse 11 of chapter 2, says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all the evil that had come upon him, they each, or they came each from his own place, Eliphaz, the, uh, the Temanite, Bildad, the, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. Uh, and they made an appointment together to come uh, to show him sympathy and comfort him. Now we're going to pause right there because I want to talk about this for just a minute. They they get together, they decide they're going to come down and they're going to be with Job and they come for two specific purposes, to show him sympathy and to comfort him. And we're going to talk about it today, but as we get into the later on in the book of Job, what we discover is uh, what their intentions were and what they their actions were were two different things. Uh, so they came to show him sympathy and comfort him. And in verse 12, we read that, they, when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. Uh, basically, that he, you know he had the swelling from the fever and the sores and the disfigurement from the boils that he'd been struck with earlier in chapter two um, have have disfigured him. They didn't recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. Uh, verse twelve continues, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven, and they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. 
And so we, we see these friends. And, you know, sometimes as a friend, uh, we don't need to say much. Sometimes our presence is just the thing that is most needed. Uh, you know, I think as I, you know, kind of know going ahead what happens in the book of Job, it might have, it was better for these three friends to have just kept their mouth shut and just sat with them, but uh, they wind up opening their mouth and, and it's not pretty what, what comes out. Uh, but for seven days, we find that they don't speak a word to him uh, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Then we move into chapter three, and 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 honestly, this is one that that almost makes you want to skim quickly through it and move on to what you know the next chapter that maybe something more hopeful or or more positive than this one because some of what Job actually says in chapter three uh, can can kind of sound offensive. Um, it's almost like you get a different guy than the one that we see described in chapters one and chapter two, uh, and and partly. You know our, our almost struggle here between chapter three Job and chapters one and two Job uh, is this skewed idea that we have that if we just walk closely with God, everything's going to be good, everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be peaceful. There's not going to be any struggle or pain or sorrow or hurt. I mean, after all, God loves us and has wonderful plans for our lives, and we need to understand something. Um, we need to understand that God's wonderful plan is wonderful from his perspective, not necessarily ours. When we think of wonderful, we think of comfortable. We think of healthy. Uh, All our bills are paid. We've got no debt, two new cars in the driveway. We're never sick. Uh, Our kids are healthy. We're happily married. Our kids are well-behaved. We've got the nice home and the white picket fence and the front porch. And man, life is just good. And that's wonderful for us. Like, that's what we think of when we think of as wonderful. But God's plan, his wonderful plan, you know, isn't necessarily like that. And so Job, uh, the book of Job really kind of brings us back to reality. And it's, 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 it's God's kind of reality. Uh, remember the question that Job asked his wife, shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in chapter 3, we are given a glimpse into this side of Job that's really as real as any of our lives today, but there's a big difference between you know our lives and, and Job's life. In Job's life, uh, he's having a, 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 a rough season. It's a tough part of life, and he lets it out. Um, he doesn't keep it cooped up inside. He doesn't, when people ask him how he's doing, he's like, oh boy, you know, I'm, I'm just doing great and everything's wonderful. He lets it come spilling out, and, it, and it's, it's recorded in scriptures for us to see uh, and he reminds us that even the godly can be depressed. And I think sometimes there's this misconception about um, what goes on in us mentally and emotionally, and that if everything were good, then mentally we're stable and emotionally we're stable. And, you know, th- depression is something that even Christians suffer through. And we all have times, every single one of us have times when we reach the end of our ropes, uh, when we have come to the end and, and, and we just don't know how much more we can handle. But most of the time when we reach the end of our ropes, there's no one there to see it because we make sure of that. Now, if only we had a tape recorder in our car um, or video cameras in our house to catch these moments of, of, of us reaching the end of our rope, but not Job. You know, Job can't run and hide. Uh, and as he speaks in chapter three, his friends listen. And as they listen, we find that instead of 
comfort and sympathy to offer him, they begin gathering ammunition to use against him um, beginning in chapter 4. And so I want to share a couple of thoughts before we really move any further into this. Number one is this, that we're entering a portion, a significant portion of the book of Job that is all poetry. Job uh, is believed to be one of the oldest books, if not the oldest book in the Bible, and maybe even one of the, the, the oldest books um, we have in, in, in history. Um, and, and, and it's argued as well that it is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature ever produced. Chapters 1 and chapters 2 are narrative in nature. Uh, they are telling us something. Uh, and then the rest of the book, save the last chapter or two, are actually poetry. And so in, in knowing that, we have to understand that there's some things we're going to read that, that we're just going to say, you know, I'm, I'm not really not sure what Job is saying. And, and the reason for that is, is because poetry by nature is full of allegory and, and metaphor and, and word pictures and illustrations, some of which it, that we just may not understand. Uh, but the second thing is that Job's outburst here is not mainly due to his physical suffering. It's not mainly because he's got these boils, boils that are covering him from head to toe, and chapter 2 tells us that he's using pottery to, broken shards of pottery to scrape his wounds. Um, but it's really more emotional and spiritual, you know, almost prompted, well, it is prompted by his losing touch with God. For so many years, he has this close relationship with God, and now, it feels like he's lost. He's lost his best friend. Um, you know, we we know that we know that Job isn't aware of the conversations in chapters one and chapters two that God has with Satan. But we do know that God, thus far, and and will for the for a big portion of the book, remain silent in Job's life. Now, God's not silent. Uh, he hasn't lost his best friend. He just feels as if he had. And you know, there are times when our feelings can lead us down a wrong path, that our emotions can be deceptive to us. Um, there are times when we may be struggling through some, some emotional things, and we begin reading into these other relationships that we might have and creating something or, or being deceived that there's something there that really isn't, or that there's a problem there that really doesn't exist, there, and, and we just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. But God isn't telling Job why all of this is happening. And so Job's feeling is, is that God is, is, is absent, that he's, he's not present. Uh, he's, and he's just living the consequences of what's going on in his life. And the result is really one of the more depressing chapters in, in all the Bible. If we were to kind of give a simple outline of, of what you know, Job says in, in chapter 3, uh, he, he pretty well, and it begins in, in verse 1, but uh, he says, let the day perish on which I was born. So he regrets his birth and, and, and he wishes he'd died at birth. And, and now Job says, you know, I almost long to die. And as you read chapter, verse one of chapter three, after the seven days that his friends have sat silent and seeing his great suffering, he opens his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job says in, in chapter, in verse Three, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. And so, you know, you, we read those, and you think, you know, in verse 1, he cursed the day of his birth. Oh, yep, yep, that's exactly what Satan was aiming at. If, if he took away all this stuff, then 
then then Job was going to curse God, except for the fact that Job doesn't curse God. He curses the day of his birth, and he it's almost in in his way of saying it. I'm I'm totally and completely alone. I, I regret the day that 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 I was con- that I was born and and drew my first breath, and I regret the day that I was conceived in my my mother's womb. And and if you've not listened to the the first uh, portion of this series, uh, I'll remind you that Job right now is sitting in a city dump. His head is shaved. His his robes are torn. His wife is grieving. His kids are dead. All ten of them, and with three friends sitting there staring at him for seven days, and feeling like there's no hope from above. And after all that, he opens his mouth and 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 says, "I I just wish I'd never been born." As we keep reading, I want to read uh, beginning in verse four, and we'll we'll get to nearly the end of the chapter. But he says, let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Again, this is talking about the day of his birth. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor the eyelids of the morning, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Verse 11, why did I not die at birth? Come out of the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there and the slave is free from his master. Verse 20, Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave? Why is it light? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden from God, uh, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. Then he concludes his statements by addressing some fears that he has in verses 25 and 26. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, for what I dread befalls me. And then he says something that's, that's raw and can resonate with, with a lot of us. He says, I'm not at ease nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but troubles come. His friends hear all this and, you know, they begin to analyze Job's vulnerability and and this response we see in chapter 3, and, and they analyze it from their vantage point of good health and plenty to eat. They're still making income from their jobs. They've got a happy family. And you know they're as we read in the next in the coming chapters they're they're offended at 
at, at Job's statements. And it's a lesson for us moving forward in our, in our Christian lives as we seek to help others who find themselves suffering um, through sorrow or grief, that it's easy for us sometimes to analyze their situation from our position of, of, of blessing, of, of prosperity, um, of health, and, and, and almost judge wrongly. And so, uh, you know, there's a lesson there for us that as we minister to other people, and if you're a, a member of a church, you're a member of our church, um, that's something we challenge uh, our members to do. We are part of a body of believers. Um, I think over the years we have made the habit of, of placing all the ministry of the church on the pastor and expecting him to make all the visits and make all the calls and help all the hurting and, and, and serve all the, the needy, when in reality... It is our job as a church body to come together and meet the needs of one another. There are some things that that you have suffered through and God has comforted you, and because of that, He wants you to go and comfort other people. Um, there are times when you may be in a unique position to, to, to be the blessing to someone or to be the comforter in someone's life. Um, and so as we, we expand as we grow as Christians and we expand kind of our, 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 our vision of what that means and understanding of what that means, it means we come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We weep with those who are weeping. We bear with one another's burdens. Um, so when we see a brother or sister in Christ and, and man, they're suffering and they're hurting, that we can come alongside them and do what Job's friends intended on doing. Um, what their intention was is to, to come and, 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 sympathize and, and, and to, to comfort. And so that's what, what we need to do. Um, and soon these friends are going to rebuke Job because he says such things as he says in chapter 3. And But even in this, Job doesn't sin or, or charge God with wrong. He's just vocalizing what I think a lot of people at various times in their life deal with uh, internally. And some of you might be, you know, reading this chapter or be reading through the the book of Job and 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 think to yourself, finally, you know, someone who gets what I'm going through, and you're in a pit and you're struggling to find your way back, and and you know, there are times that um, a Christian psychologist or a counselor may be needed. I don't want, and it is not a sign of weakness. It's not anything to be shameful about to admit that we need help. In fact. When we come to Christ, it is us coming in humility and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I, I need you for my salvation. You are my, my strength and my shield. You are my savior. I need you. Um, and and in, a, in a sense, when we realize that there's something wrong, it, there's no shame in, 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 in seeking out the help that we need. If I'm, if I'm physically sick, uh, I'm going to go to a doctor. Uh, if he can give me something to make me feel better, by all means, I'm going to take advantage of, of those whom God has blessed to bring healing. Um, now, ultimately, we know that God is, is the ultimate healer, but there are those that He has gifted in specific ways, and He's gifted doctors, and He's gifted uh, these psychologists and counselors to help us. And so God's gifted some people with the gift of help, and, and we may need to just go and, and see them. I think... Also, uh, and this kind of plays into it, I, there are also times when we merely just need to confess that we need to 
um, admit what we're dealing with and what we're struggling with. Here, three or four years ago, I went through a, a season of, of depression and anxiety. Uh, wasn't brought on by anything going on in life. I didn't, there wasn't any struggles anywhere. It just, it just really struck out of nowhere. And for months, months, I wrestled with this. Um, the, the depression was, was accompanied by insomnia. So I wasn't sleeping. And when I wasn't sleeping, I was thinking, and then my mind would start to, to just race. And then I would get anxious about things that there were no reason to be anxious about. And I was beginning to read into different things too much and, 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 and see problems where problems didn't exist. And, and I, I, to be honest with you, I just, I was a mess and I had reached the end of my rope. Um, and I finally, I would not describe it as a moment of weakness. Um, I might describe it as a moment of clarity. I decided to make a phone call. And so I called a, a pastor friend of mine. And I'll just be completely honest with you. I was terrified to call because I didn't want anybody to know that I was, I was wrestling through this, that I, some of the thoughts I was having and some of the things that I was dealing with, I didn't want anybody to know. Um, and in a, I was really kind of believing Satan's lies that, you know, I was, I was the only one, there wasn't anybody else, that I was the only one dealing with these things. And I finally picked up a phone and I, I finally just called someone. I just confessed everything. And at the end of the conversation, when I was expecting a rebuke or expecting a correction or expecting something else, all I got was, yeah, me too. I've been right where you're at. And I can't tell you the relief that washed over my soul in that moment. That God had placed someone in my life that had experienced the same thing I had, yet I would have never known had I not in humility said, you know what, I've got to tell somebody. If that moment of vulnerability that I wouldn't have just let that out, I would have never known. And he would have never known my suffering and been able to speak into my life the way that God had, had encouraged him and comforted him in those moments of his. And I, I can't tell you what that meant to me. And, and, and that may be, for some of you, it may just be that we need to tell somebody. We just need to, to talk about it um, and get some of that stuff out. Uh, but there are three practical truths that I want to share with you that we learn in, in Job chapter 3 as, as we seek to minister to those who are in situations similar to Job or are suffering in ways similar to Job, or even just suffering in life. Um, and, and really, this is twofold. It's, it's one for those of us that may be ministering uh, to other people, whether you're a pastor or, or a church member or um, just looking to be a help of somebody, um, because this would extend even outside of the church when we're taking the gospel to those and we find people who are hurting and, and in need of hope. These are truths for them as well. But there are things for us to remember, and if you're suffering through this, some things for you as well. But principle number one is just there are days too dark for the sufferer to see, that there are days too dark for the sufferer to see light. And that's kind of where Job's at. And unfortunately, his so-called friends won't bring him any relief. But like Job, some of you may feel like you've not seen the light in a long time. And, and for some of us, as we seek to minister, or all of us as we seek to minister, we're going to run into people who who feel like they've not seen the light for a long time. And so we need to remember these words and um, and, and, re- and remember that and that we are that we are lights uh, in in a dark world, and for some people, their world may be dark because of suffering. There's others whose world may be dark because uh, they are 
uh, apart from Christ, that they're not they're not followers of Christ. And so it's, it's that reminder of us that there are days too dark for the sufferer to see light, and we can be that light of the gospel. And the best thing we can do is to take the gospel to them and the hope of the gospel and the light of who Christ is, that he's a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and just share those things uh, with them and the truths of God's word and, and provide a little bit of light excuse me, for them in their life. Number two, the second principle we find in, is that there are experiences too extreme for the hurting to have hope. Uh, when a person drops so low due to inner pain, you feel as if all hope is lost. I can't imagine Job. Job lost his livelihood. He lost his children. Uh, he had lost his health. I mean, the things that you and I today hold hold so strongly to are the very things that, that Job lost. And I've never been there, but I could imagine that he would feel as if all hope is lost. And that's why Job admits his lack of ease, his absence of peace, his deep unrest. And so it, 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 it may be that they feel that way and... and, and and it, they just may need a general re- reminder that that feelings aren't facts. There is something greater than 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 the way we feel, and that's the the promises of God. And, you know, sometimes we get, and all of us are like this. We get so wrapped up in 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 what we're feeling and 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 what may be hurting or or focusing on our suffering or the storm that we may be experiencing that we forget about the promises of God. We forget about what God's Word says. And so I would challenge you, even regardless of where you are in your relationship with Christ, be a student of the Word. Know what God's Word says. Know what God's promises are. Because in those moments where we feel like all hope is lost, it's His Word that we need to stand on. We don't need to stand and rely on our emotions and, well, maybe I'll feel better one day. But instead, I would encourage you to stand on, on the promises of God because we do have hope in Him. And then number three, the third principle is there are valleys too deep for the anguish to find relief, that they can feel as if, you know, there's really no reason to go on, and we run out of places to, to find relief. And, you know, we search for these this relief in all these other places and, and may have us think and feel that not even God cares about us. And, you know, we could never be, never be more wrong. Um, Corey Tinboom, I mean, she has this amazing quote, and it says, "There is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still." And I want to read that one more time, and I want you to think about: it. there is no pit, there is no pit in life that we will ever experience that is so deep that God is not deeper still. The, the, the psalmist he he writes uh, something along the lines of. You know, he, he he couldn't hide from the Lord. He said, I go the highest heights, and there you'd be. I go the lowest depths, and there you'd be also. And that truth extends even into our, you know, into our lives as Christians, that though we're not trying to hide from Him, we may feel that we are lower than we have ever been before, that we are stuck in the depths of a depression or an, uh, an uh, emotional rut that we just can't get ourselves out of, and we don't feel like anything's going to get us out of there. But the reality is, is that God is always there with us. And not only is He there, He cares. And, and so we may not be 
at that place this morning. We may not be in the place of Job, but we may know someone who is. And so let's not judge too harshly or question their faith or their salvation because they find themselves in a, in a pit of depression. And I want to encourage you to sit down and, and dig in deep with them and, and, and just love them. Uh, as we kind of close this th- today, as we come to, you know, we look at the end of chapter three, you know, God doesn't say, shame on you, Job. God can handle, could handle Job's words and, and, and God can handle ours. Job's words are written in the Bible for us to see. Our words often aren't spoken in public or to anybody in particular. They remain a secret in our cars or our homes or out in the woods. But God can handle it. God can handle those things that, that we have to say, and, and, and our friends may be able to handle it as, as well in, in, in confessing this. So let it all out. Tell God what's in and on your heart. Uh, you never get over grief completely. Uh, until you express it fully. Um, it's a good quote. You never get over grief completely until you express it fully. I wish that was mine, but but it's certainly not. And, and Job doesn't hold back. He he expresses what's going on in, in his heart. And so as, um, as we look at this, God hasn't left us. I can promise you that. God's Word promises you that. We'll see it in Job. He hasn't forsaken you. He may be silent, but he's still there working in ways you can't see. And his plan for you is still wonderful. And just be patient and and trust in him and stand on his promises. And I will remind you as we close, the book of Job does not end in Job chapter 3. It does not end in Job chapter 4 or 5 or 6. In fact, it goes on and on and on for several, several chapters. Um, In fact, it it goes on... um, for um, 41 chapters and 42 chapters, I'm sorry. And the story ends and God comes through and does some amazing things. So let's pray um, together. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, Lord, and you know uh, the things that are deep down in our hearts. You know the things that we are struggling with. You know the things that we are wrestling with. Though they may not be public things, they may be things that are very private to us, um, you're aware of them. And Father, help us to understand that you are always with us. Help us to understand the value in confessing those things and, and being honest and, and, and humble before you. God, sometimes the, the path to our healing comes first in the the confessing of of the very things that may be going on in our hearts and minds. And God, you can handle it. Father, we know that um, you know all things, and we we thank you for that. We know that you can provide all things, Lord. We thank you for that. But God, I thank you more than anything that you love us, that despite the questions we have and the things we wrestle with and struggle with, and and even at times our, our lack of faith, that you still love us, that you still since your son Jesus to die for us, that we would have a relationship with you, that he being the righteous one died for us, the unrighteous, that he might bring us to you to have an op- an audience with you at a relationship with you to, to be able to confess our sins and to be cleansed from, from all unrighteousness. And so father, I pray God, if there's someone that's listening here that, that has never accepted you as, as Lord and savior of their life, who hasn't put their faith and trust in you as their as their savior, 
for your sacrifice for their sins, that, Lord, they would do that. That, God, they would trust you. And, Lord, that you would give them new life and a new heart, that they'd be able to, to serve and follow you. Father, I pray for those of us that may be ministering to those that are suffering and hurting. God, may you give us kind and compassionate hearts. May you give us hearts that sympathize and are able to uh, feel alongside with them. Father, help us to not rush to judgment or to rush to, to, to see things that are there that aren't. But God, may we just seek to be understanding. And God, would you give us a discerning spirit in what to say and what not to say and when we should just keep our mouths closed and just let our presence there with them uh, be a light of hope. And God, may we always have the words to remind them of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for that hope. Thank you for your presence in our lives, Lord. And just we thank you for the timelessness of your word. And God, we just pray that you would use it to minister to your people and to change us, Lord, that we may be lights shining in the darkness. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory we ask all these things. Amen.